You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Hello, everyone. Hey, everyone. Today, folks, we're here. Mel and I are here. For those of you who haven't tuned in before, Mel and I are the co-hosts of Lead to Soar. And Lead to Soar is a multi-platform resource for business women, for women at all career stages. And the reason that we exist is to help close the global leadership gender gap. Part of this is by helping women navigate the system of work, workplaces, their careers. But importantly, we want to see more women advance their leadership careers because what we want to do is get the next generation of women CEOs ready to rock and roll. That's what we do. And Mel and I have a network for business women, a membership network for business women. We have our Lead to Soar podcast and we have the Lead to Soar Summit, which we've been running in America for a little while. And this year we're bringing the Lead to Soar Summit to Australia, to Melbourne on the 23rd and 24th of November. Woohoo! I know. And Mel's coming down under, which is super exciting. And we have one of our keynote speakers is the amazing, terrific, awesome, experienced, capable, credible woman, Rana Hussein. And we're going to talk to Rana today about her and her business and what she's going to bring to the summit. So welcome, Rana. Thank you so much. As you were saying that, I was like, I think Michelle is my like inner coach voice in my head. I was like, I'm just going to record you saying like all those wonderful things about me and just play it whenever I need a little backup. Oh, good on you. I love it. I love it. I have an alarm on my phone like that with somebody that I really respect. They said something nice to me when we were on a recording and I was like, that's going to be my alarm. I love it. Oh, what a great idea. Before we go any further, I do want to acknowledge where we all are today. So I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land wherever we are today. For me, I'm on Wajak Noyar territory. So I'm here in Perth and not too far from, well, only 400 kilometres from where I grew up on Noongar land, which is Geraldton, Western Australia. So I want to pay my respects to the Wajak Noongar people. Thank you for looking after our land, our waterways and your culture for over 65,000 years. We talk a lot about leadership in Lead to Soar, obviously, and I want to encourage everyone in this really important week in Australia to think about the leadership that's been shown by our First Nations people to create and sustain the oldest living continuous culture in the world, despite extraordinary adversity and extraordinary marginalisation. So there's real leadership to be looked at and learned from, from our First Nations community. And I proudly have voted yes for a voice to parliament. So welcome, Rana. This week, you have launched your new business. Well, I guess it's the name of your business because you've been doing this business, your business for a long, long time in various capacities. But you've launched your business, Good Human. And I had such a big smile on my face when I saw the launch and the name because I just went, yeah, of course it's called Good Human because Rana is a good human. Despite the fact she says in her little blurb, I'm not necessarily a good human. She is a really good human. So, Tell us firstly, for people who don't know you, what's the highlights reel and then what is Good Human all about? Yeah, well, I mean, the highlights reel will probably tell you what Good Human 
is really. I started off as a social worker by trade. I used to be a counsellor at a primary school working with young Muslim kids. I used to work in sexual assault trauma counselling for kids. And I've always, like you, Michelle, been a sports fan, particularly AFL and cricket. And I always watched it, loved it, but never really felt like it was something for me in terms of any kind of active involvement, whether it was playing or I never even thought you could even get a job in sport. I could get a job in sport. So I didn't even dream of it. But I started to volunteer a lot. And and sport was always that place where growing up from a multicultural background, I often carried around a lot of baggage and a lot of tension and a lot of a sense that I didn't quite belong. But at least when I went to the footy, I could park that. And it was kind of one of the places where things are going terribly in my life. When I went to the footy, that just went away for siren to siren. I didn't think about it. No one else seemed to care who I was or why I was there. Like it just felt like something that everybody should have a space, everybody should have. So I started to think about that more and more. And as I started to work more with young people, I realised what a vehicle sport was as well. And so I just kind of beeline towards it. And as I kept doing that, more and more I found opportunities in it to drive cultural change. And so I spent about 10 years working in sport in the end, you know, in various inclusion and diversity roles. I was brought in as a fan engagement and marketing officer, which is just <laughs> makes me laugh every time now because I think why did you hire me? <laughs> but I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to argue with it. I was like, sure, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just know if I'm in there, something will happen and I'll have an interesting conversation and maybe I can shed light on different experiences for you. And what started out as a fan engagement play, I guess, for Indian fans at the Richmond Footy Club turned into a conversation about inclusion and me sort of saying, well, if you want Indian fans or any other kind of fans that aren't here yet, maybe it's not about them learning about who we are. Maybe we need to learn about who they are and actually think about what kind of environment we are that makes them want to be here. Like what are we offering them really at the end of the day? Are we a comfortable place for them to come to? And so that turned into a career in inclusion and diversity across sports administration. I've worked with a number of different sports and most recently at Champions of Change working with sports CEOs to drive gender equality. So that's sort of been the bulk of my career. But as I've gone through, I realised that more and more the change I wanted to see was with leaders. When leaders get it, when they get what makes good high-performing teams and cultures, they enable it. And then you can do the work. You can get into the nitty-gritty. But if the leaders don't get it, it would fall down every time or I'd be really unsatisfied. And so I started to work more and more on convincing leaders that inclusion and belonging is really important and part of really amazing teams and getting the best out of your workplace. And then when I kept doing that, I went, oh, this is just actually leadership. It's not a separate conversation. It's just good leaders. And then the more I spent time with leaders, I realised good people are open to the conversation. It's so often about there are real specifics around discrimination and there's real specifics when you drill down into the bespoke needs of different communities. But when you peel all that back, I just kind of went, well, we're talking about ethics, we're talking about integrity, 
we're talking about tuning into each other and having that respectful curiosity. And I kind of just went, oh, yeah, that's what I want to see. And I just want to see really ethical, good humans doing good work. And so, and I just kept coming back to that phrase and people would always say, well, isn't it just about being a good person? I'd say, yeah, but what does that really mean? Let's talk about that. And I kind of just went, like, you know what I mean when I say, when we say good human, we want good humans, we want good leaders, we want good workplaces. It makes me nervous because I worry, really does sound like I'm saying, well, I'm a great person. (laughs) It's just, I'm always very quick to say this is not about even inclusion and belonging. It's not about being perfect or the moral centre of an organisation. It's just, what do we owe each other? How do we do the right thing by each other, really? Given that we focus so much on leaders through a gender lens, and Rana, you and I do adjacent, similar adjacent work, but one of the things that's been really gratifying to me is gratifying and alarming. Okay, let's take this out, is to say, people go, oh, you just focus on women, Michelle, right. I go, well, actually, so women are nearly 52% of the world's population. And by the way, not all women look like me, sound like me, have the same privilege as me. So I really focus on, I've always said I'm an, inter- when I, I gained this language, I used to say I was an inclusive feminist, which is what I meant by, I don't buy into white feminism, but now I know I've got the language to say, I really aspire to be an intersectional feminist and a champion of intersectionality. In saying that, you can't, hello, I've got this white face and I'm middle-aged and I'm privileged and, and all that kind of stuff. So, Rana, you and I started talking a little while back and I said, I said it's really important for Mel and I and, and Susan and Amal, our other co-hosts, that we aren't a bunch of white women doing stuff. Now, Amal is a, a Somalian US black woman, so she gives us lots of perspectives. But when you and I started talking about it, I said, I really would love your perspectives at our summit because I really want our women leaders to understand what intersectional inclusive leadership looks like, sounds like, and what they need to do. So that intersectionality is super important for us, Rana. So how do you bring that to life? Because you are about leadership out, and of course you've got all this, you've got both lived experience as well as expertise in intersectional inclusion. Well, I mean, I often start, and I do this with myself too, because we all do this. I often start by saying, okay, when we talk about gender equality or whatever it is, if it was at a footy club talking about fans, who is it that comes to mind for you? We might put the right words on a page, but when you're designing something, when you're leading, when you're thinking about the customer or the organisation that you lead, who really comes to mind? And notice that and then go, okay, who else have I completely left out or who have I forgotten or who else do I need to think about? So equally, if you're in a room with your team or you're leading a team or you're designing something, you know, understanding that we often come from one particular worldview and one particular experience or place And even just the first step is recognising that and understanding that, okay, I might be really biased or I might be really coming from a particular lens. And for me, that would be brown Muslim women. That's the first thought that comes to mind. It's natural that they're the people that I might think about, although research tells us that 
people from marginalised backgrounds don't, like when you watch a movie, if you go to the cinemas, women can identify with the male lead, but research tells us that men find it really hard to identify with the female lead, even though women can do the reverse because we are acculturated in certain ways to certain biases. So I often just start from the beginning and say, who do you think of? Who's the person, kind of the template person in your mind? Okay, now when you're thinking about whatever it is you are, if it's customer service, how does that land now on someone from a completely different background? What other attributes do they have? And I really appreciate you saying you're a white woman and you don't want to take up whatever space. I'm always really mindful to say it's not that that's a bad thing. It's not that whiteness is bad or even being a man bad it's what are the dynamics in any given situation who has power and who doesn't and how can we keep balancing that out and so I think when we think about gender equality movements we often even I do when I hear the words gender equality I have a picture in my mind of the woman that we're talking about and often she's very professional she's usually white she's aspiring to be a CEO and that's fine and she has a story who else are we not talking to And I often think if we're going to say women, then we have to really acknowledge the fact that that comes in all different shapes and sizes and lived experience. Yeah, a very quick anecdote then I am going to hand across to Mel. So about, I'd been running my business for about 12 months and and I was doing some work with Carlton Football Club. So one of the big old clubs here in Melbourne, Mel, and the former chief of army, David Morrison, was speaking. And I had the great pleasure of talking to David, introducing him, what have you. And the first thing he did was, I'd like everyone to close your eyes. I want you to think of a digger. So the colloquial term for an Australian soldier. And he said, now, I reckon most of you probably thought of a young white bloke in camos. And I went, oh, I did too. And he said, what about the young Muslim woman who's wearing a hijab? Or what about the guy who's got Sri Lankan heritage? Or what about, and and I just went, I do this for a job. And I had that mental model. And I went, holy moly. So what you, I'm, I'm nodding going, yep, I know. When you close your eyes and you think CEO, what's that mental model? And then how does that come into our leadership decisions? How does it affect them? So I love the fact that you're going to talk about that at the summit. Now I shut up. Mel, over to you. Oh, thank you. Well, Ron, I'm so pleased to get to be with you virtually and that we're going to meet in person. And of course, we're featuring you on a panel at the Lead to Source Summit and keynote. <laughs> keynote. Okay. Help us explore the ideas of What does a CEO want you to know? What does a CEO want their people to know? So I wonder if if you would talk with us just a little bit about kind of sneak preview, right? Like when you're working with leaders, what are some of the major topics that come up for focus in the type of work that you do? It's really funny that you asked that because I literally the other day, without knowing that you're going to ask that question, asked that question of a CEO. I was sort of like, what do you need? What do you want? Just give me the like idea of if I was coming to work with you, what do you actually want from me? And it was a little bit heartbreaking, his response. <laughs> but there was a truth in it that I think we do need to acknowledge. He sort of said, and I, I've heard this from so many I just need you to fix the problem (laughs) that I'm bringing you in for. I need you to make it easy for me and I need you to kind of just 
just show me what to do and walk alongside me. And for all the kind of hand-wringing I've done and, and frustrations I can feel when it comes to leaders, I really recognise that, especially in this moment in time, the role of the leader is extraordinary and complex and the expectations are so high and never before I think have we asked what we do of leaders that we do now. And so I really recognise that many, many CEOs are time poor. They really just want to know what they need to do. So often they're ready and they're kind of like, okay, I'm bringing you in, just tell me what to do. And maybe it's because I've worked mostly in the sports realm, but seems to be consensus across the board. It's kind of like, just give me the ball and tell me which way to run and I'll run it across. I totally agree, Rana. Yep. Yeah. And when I was thinking about good human, good human is the name. It's really ultimately just bringing everything that I've always done under one roof, working on social impact projects, creating visibility within the media and culture, having a public voice to speak to issues of belonging and inclusion, and then working with leaders and workplaces to create workplaces of belonging and inclusion. But what was most important to me was it needs to be not easy, but simple, I guess. I think it needs to be clear and stepped out processes and work and being able to say things like, okay, this is your role as the CEO. Your role as a CEO is to listen to the, your organisation and your workplace. And so to answer your question in another way, I think CEOs, what I'm finding is they don't actually know what's going on in their organisations, not for lack of trying, but no one tells the CEO what's going on really. So I think often when they bring someone like me and and Michelle, I think what they're really doing is saying, I want to know, but I can't find out on my own. I need something else to help me so I get the real answer because they're often just not given the information. There's so much in that around power dynamics and why and psychological safety. So I think for me, those are two things that I'm hearing from CEOs, just kind of give us the clear direction, but also help me understand what's going on. I want to ask in your work and all of this experience that you have working with leaders and companies, is there something within intersectionality that you've seen that gets missed or maybe misunderstood? Yes. And I was thinking about it when Michelle asked her question. I think, and necessarily so, I mean, the UN names different communities like LGBTQ communities, like racially diverse communities, disability and women. So those are UN kind of identified groups that are marginalised. So it's not that they're not areas that we shouldn't be looking at, but I think when it comes to intersectionality, I think people approach it as if there is a neutral person and kind of the standard person and then these other diverse people out and around them in our communities that we need to tune into. And the reality is, and I think if that's one thing I could break down even in our national psyche, is that we are all really, really different and diverse and we have different parts of our identity that make up who we are. And so intersectionality is just all of those facets. So we all have a place that we come from, an upbringing, a social class and demographic 
And that's what we're talking about when we talk about intersectionality and how do we hold and understand the context of the people that we're working with to level up the playing field. So then recognising that if you're working with me, there might be some dynamics around race that you have to keep in mind. So if you're my manager through my leader, there might be how do you tune into that? How do you inquire with curiosity with me? to kind of sense whether I'm experiencing those power imbalances. I love that phrase you just used, tune into that. That's a nice way to frame it. Thank you. Yeah, I think one day I'll do a PhD. I've just keep coming back to this concept of curiosity and tuning in to people and how your ability to tune into a context, a situation, a power dynamic, and then what do you do with that? I think when I think about like, what is it that I actually want from my leisure? It's that, it's that ability to kind of read the room and tune in to any given context. I really appreciate that, Rana, because we talk about leadership and certainly for me, I talk about there are three facets to leadership. There's business intelligence and knowing how to grow a business, how to move a business forward. There's emotional intelligence, so EQ, emotional intelligence, how to tune into myself and tune into others, read the room. And then there's the social intelligence. How do I really gather a whole bunch of people together in my ecosystem and my network to achieve the goals. And what you've just said there is just there's such importance in leadership. Let's face it again, just to, if anyone's not aware, we're all about leadership. For the women that that at our summit, being able to tap into your expertise about how do I tune in, as Mel said, great. And again, mental models, how do I tune in to my, the people, the humans that I'm leading so that I can help them be the best version of themselves? Because we know that when they're the best version of themselves, your team's going to be the best version of itself. The business is going to be the best version of itself. So there's just huge amounts in here for leaders to pay attention to. But I guess the other thing, Rana, that I resonate with is creating a simple playbook for leaders because we talked just before on the podcast that we were recording about the complexity, the cognitive load on leaders now. And I often say when I started work 947 years ago and got my first leadership role, there was some kind of stuff around supervising people, make sure they're in the right place at the right time. But it's just so much more than that now. So I really appreciate the fact that our leaders at the summit are going to learn from you about how to tune in to me, whoever me is. And again, that coming back to that, me is not this or Mel or you. There's a whole range of me's out there. So it'll be hugely beneficial to learn from you. Oh, I can't wait. And I'm certainly coming to also learn from all of you. So I'm really looking forward to it. So... Leaders, leaders at every level. And of course, leadership manifests itself at every level in every organization. If you're at the start of your career, the mid part of your career, or if you're very senior, or if you are a CEO, you need to pay attention to our summit because what Mel and I do in conjunction with Amal and Susan is create environments where women can learn how to be the best version of themselves as leaders, how to navigate workplaces that are still fundamentally not fixed and will be fixed because people, Rana and Mel and I are going to ensure that we're talking to CEOs and what have you to fix those workplaces. But we will have just 100 women in a room because we want a very, very 
curated, thoughtful experience for two days for women leaders at every level. So this summit is really going to give attendees, the participants, the women who show up, an opportunity to learn about all three components of leadership from us, of course, because Mel and I, I have no shame in saying we are experts. We know our stuff. We know the business of our business and what we're doing. But also we've got Rana, we've got Kate Dillon, and we've got three women CEOs at the top of their game who are going to share on a panel. Mel's going to interview them about what they want you to know and how they also navigated the system. So this is an extraordinary experience. I have no compunction in saying you will have a transformative experience. And Mel, I want to hand to you because our summit in June in the US, we've had a couple of really awesome bits of feedback from the women who attended about their transformative experience. So over to you to talk about that. Well, I've got one person in mind in particular. It was her first time really interacting with Lead to Soar. She came to the summit and then subsequently joined the network. And she gave us feedback. She told us the material we covered was really thought-provoking. It really helped give me the impetus that I needed to move on from my job to a new role that I have a lot more responsibility. It's more challenging. She's been showing up to all of our coaching calls and updating us on how things are going and getting support along the way. And I think that that really speaks to this core value that we have. We want to see women advance to whatever place they want to advance to. This is not about trying to get every woman to be a CEO. This is really just about supporting women to realize whatever potential they want to realize in their life and career and to have the backing along the way to get there on the smoothest path, get there effectively, and to have support when challenges do come up because they do, they do for women. And having other women who can circle around you is a really special thing. It is indeed. So Rana, we're so happy to have you as part of our community and as one of our expert speakers at the summit. And Mel's put all the links into the various socials uh, that we're across. But thank you so much for your time today congratulations again on Good Human, which of course, as I say, it's just bringing, putting a name to everything that you've done for so, so long, for over a decade. And we can't wait to learn from you at the end of November in Melbourne, Australia. Thrilled. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me today. Thanks, Rana. Awesome. All right, folks, you know where to find us. So uh, look at the links, come and talk to Mel and I, and particularly for the, the CEOs and the executives who are watching today, you must send your women to this summit because it will be a way of your organization reaching its fullest potential. All righty. See you, folks. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.